0: This is The Dairy Download, brought to you by EverAg Insights and the International Dairy Foods Association, where we offer extra sharp market and policy insights on dairy. I'm your host, Phil Plourd. And I'm your co-host, Kathleen Wolfley. Today's episode is about, well, it's about us. That's right. It's our third annual Greatest Hits show. We'll get to that in a minute. First, Kathleen, where are we now?
1: Well, Phil, CME spot prices as of Tuesday, December 5th. CME Block Cheddar closed at $1.60, down a penny on the week. Barrels also closed at $1.60 per pound, a $0.17 cent increase. Spot Butter finished at two sixty-seven, dollars a dime higher. And the non-vet dry milk market closed at $1.17, two cents lower. Phil, my most important thing right now is global demand. We've talked a lot in the past about how demand for U.S. dairy particularly cheese, seems to be pretty hot and cold here in 2023 or has been pretty hot and cold in 2023. But as we dig into the data a little further, it it seems to suggest that globally the demand pie really isn't growing at a fast or really big clip. Rather, it just seems like some of that hot and cold that we've been sensing from a U.S. perspective or U.S. export perspective is more so a reshuffling of the market share, depending in part on who's the cheapest in the world. Is the U.S. going to get the share because we're the cheapest at one point in time, or is the EU going to get that share, or New Zealand even? From my perspective, global demand is one of those really important things that I'm watching right now. How about
0: for you? I think things would be a lot more exciting if we were competing for a growing pie, right? It's sort of uh, one of the reasons we just can't get liftoff anywhere. Yeah, exactly. I am interested in what the holiday season consumer debt hangover is going to be. At this time of the year, we're always fascinated with how consumer spending is unfolding, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I think those numbers, you might have a, a, a read on those numbers. But what I'm curious about is on the other side of the holidays, what's the consumer debt situation going to look like? We already have record high outstanding credit card balances for consumers. We're seeing a lot more buy now, pay later type services being used from what I understand around the holidays. And I think this sort of this debt is creating additional weight on consumer spending power. And if we are adding to it even more here at the end of the year, I think it creates some uh, demand implications for the beginning of next year.
1: I think they, uh, they may come as no surprise that anytime you open up the January or sometimes it's the early February credit card bill, it's, a, it's always a little bit of a what have I done? <laughs> this was a horrible mistake of spending that much money. But you know, how many collective gas across the country are people going to be uh, taking as as they look at those? holiday hangover type credit card bills.
0: Yeah, I mean we're already running out of room a little bit in terms of credit outstanding and, and and that could get tighter even yet more yet. And the interest rates are high as well. Oh yeah. Not helping. Not helping.
1: Well I'm gonna double down on that. My stat of the week is nine point eight billion according to Adobe Analytics, that's how much consumers spent on Black Friday this year. That was up seven and a half percent from twenty twenty two. And if you're curious about Cyber Monday, Cyber Monday spending was twelve point four billion up almost Ten percent year over year. What's
0: your stat of the week, Phil? That's yeah, just a little bit ahead of inflation. I mean, it's it's, a, it's up, but you know, keep in mind that prices are higher too. Yeah. My stat of the week is sixty percent, and that is what Novo Nordisk, the maker of Ozempic, a so-called GLP-1 drug, weight loss drug, increasing popularity. Sales are up 60% year to date, according to corporate reports through the third quarter. Uh, we see increased use of Ozempic out there in the marketplace, and I don't think we have reached material levels in terms of you know hugely impacting food demand. But there's some real interesting research out there about you know how caloric intake can decline by as much as you know 20 to 30%. The different kind of choices that consumers are making. Uh, there was a great story in the Wall Street Journal yesterday about how. Uh, we're seeing sort of sideline diet businesses growing up around Ozempic that might actually favor uh, whey protein concentrates and isolates uh, and, and nutrition drinks. So I don't know that Ozempic is a huge story today in terms of chipping away at cheese demand or ice cream demand or whatever. But I do think it's a topic that's of growing interest and the sales are going gangbusters. And I'm guessing they're not going to slow down anytime soon.
1: When I look at the, the side effects of, of those types of drugs, it always makes me chuckle a little bit of, you know, basically, you lose weight because you feel like garbage. Now, no wonder you don't want to eat fast food. No wonder you don't want to eat any salty snacks. All <laughs> you want to do in the land is lay on the couch and feel like trash.
0: But as our esteemed colleague, Bill Curley, pointed out to me one day, you know, look at all the side effects we're willing to deal with to get rid of, like, psoriasis. So imagine what we might, you know, take on from, from for weight loss.
1: That's, that's true. What's your fearless prediction?
0: As uh, you and listeners of the show probably know, I'm obsessed with the price of crude oil. It's something I watch uh, every day. And I think it's, if not the best indicator, certainly among the best in, best indicators of the global e- economic situation. We have a shooting war in the Middle East. We have another round of production cuts announced by OPEC, and we can't get crude oil to trade over $75 a barrel. And to me, that's a huge indictment of where the global economy is today. And my fearless prediction is that we will end this year with crude oil, WTI crude oil futures under $80 a barrel. What about you?
1: Okay. It's a bold, it's a bold prediction, folks. My fearless prediction is around holiday season sales. I think that when the dust settles on the holiday season, spending will ultimately increase by less than 3% year over year. So I, I I wonder if consumers have spent a bunch between Black Friday and Cyber Monday, but perhaps spending will slow. So they ultimately end up only up 3% year over year.
0: Well, their work may be done.
1: Their work may be done. I know that I did a lot of my shopping between Friday the 24th and Monday the 27th and you know, the list has almost been crossed off at this point.
0: I'm not going to ask what you got me. I'll 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 choose to be surprised.
1: <laughs> I'm going to deliver to you Phil a win on fearless predictions. And by that I mean I will win the fearless predictions
0: this year. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, I'm 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 focused on fantasy football right now, so.
1: Yeah, I I've given up on our fantasy football because the F- Phil fanatics are in the lead, top place I think.
0: What can I tell you? Let's get on uh, with the greatest hit show, Kathleen. Let's do it. Our first clip comes from Darren Seifer of the NPD Group. As you know, Kathleen, I watch a lot of TikTok cooking videos, and he tells us about how social media is really the new cookbook. You know,
2: I'm not sure it's so much in the way that they do their grocery shopping so much as it provides them with ideas for meals. So, Taking TikTok, for example, when you ask Gen Zs, it comes up as a top 10 source for recipe ideas. And when you think about the life stage that Gen Zs are in right now, I mean, what? especially the adult side of them, they're in their early 20s. They don't really know what to do in the kitchen. And if you look at some of the food talk videos that are popular now, most of them don't even have written out instructions it's all very visual for them so it's perfect for people who have no idea what to do in the kitchen it just you know visually gives them this step by step process for how to make meals and that really came in handy in 2020 when restaurants were not an option for a lot of people to go to especially people who don't have much acumen in the kitchen um, and that, But that's been a shift uh, over the last 20 years, though, because when you think about 20 years ago, where did we get our ideas from? It was usually a recipe book that was sitting in our cupboard for more than two years. And that's been a pretty dynamic shift that we've seen over the past couple of decades.
1: Our next clip comes from Daryl Postelnick. Phil, I think he's one of your favorites on the, the TikTok reels. Love his cooking videos, huh?
0: i am a fanboy, I must confess. Personally, I
3: love cheese, but I mean, cheese makes everything better. <laughs> And I um, I did a deal with Costello Cheese, and that was kind of the blue cheese angle that got me into there. But uh, yeah, I listen. I'm a blue cheese dressing lover. I, I do it on all my smash burgers. I mean, you can look at probably some of my best videos I've done have had some kind of dairy in them. Um, so yes, I uh, I don't think about it that way. Like I don't think and go, wow, that's a dairy company. Or it's it's more of I will only do deals. Um, with either partners I do buy and use with, uh, products I really love. Uh, if you could probably imagine the amount of, uh, requests that I get weekly of, I've got this product, I'm making my own barbecue sauce. I'm making my own this, that seasoning, you name it. I, I pass on majority of them just because it's a lot. And I also want to try to stay as authentic as I can. And I want to um, not just have every single video be uh, an ad.
0: Next up, Tim Galloway from Galloway & Company. We had a really interesting and fun conversation about the use of liquor and dairy products.
4: In the cream liqueurs and the acidified dairy space, there are new entrants to the markets all the time. And it's interesting to watch who eventually rises and falls. Right now we're seeing some of our greatest growth with the craft distillers. So it's uh, an interesting dynamic.
1: Perhaps not as exciting as boozy dairy drinks, but very pertinent to everyday farming trends. We have Vince Bailey from Farm Credit Mid-America talking about interest rates across farmland.
0: You might even say it's a sobering conversation. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and if you look at, the failures that have been out there, it's really been about managing interest rate changes, right?
5: Correct. And part of it was just putting money into, again, they had a lot of cash coming in over the last few years uh, from different sources. But when you look at SVB Bank, uh, they had significant deposit setting there. A lot of times you look at, at banks from the standpoint of a, of a um, deposits to our loans to deposit ratio. They weren't very heavily loaned up, um, but they had a lot of cash and they had invested that into some maturity, some what you would think would be very safe uh, instruments, a lot of it in in um, in, um debt maturities from the, from the U.S. government, uh, treasuries, but they were t- they had decided in some cases to take some, some risk on putting in three- and five-year-type treasuries, which then has the issue of coming back and not being worth that if you have to mark them to market on an early basis. So a different set of circumstances for them.
0: But of course, interest rates matter across the the banking universe. So, uh, you know, how have clients of Farm Credit Mid-America been dealing with higher interest rates and, and has that been a prominent part of conversations with your customers as we approach planting season?
5: So at least here with MidAmerica, we offer a lot of fixed rate products. And so does the system in general offer a lot of fixed rate products. So what's on the books today in terms of uh, whether it's real estate or it's equipment? Typically, uh, they're in good shape with it's the new things taking place that are having an impact uh, in most in most Commonly, what we're talking about is is the operating lines because the operating lines that's where that interest rate's going to hit them on a on a more consistent basis, depending on how often they're utilizing that line of credit. Uh, but it also, when you think about why the why the Fed uses interest rates the way they do, is it's to either cool or or uh, slow down or do something with those assets uh, to uh, to quell inflation as it goes through uh, the system. But they are concerned about what does this mean? So yeah, from the standpoint of interest rates, uh, customers are concerned, but uh, they're most, over my 36 years, I've been doing this this for 36 years and interest rates are really about on average where they had been over that 36 year time period. And that's something as we got really, really low in interest rates, customers got used to that and they began to bid in asset values based upon those low interest rates. So this is a change that they're having to deal with and, and work through. Jonathan
0: Mays from Restaurant Business, another of our favorites, actually a return guest to the Dairy Download, joined us and talked a lot about delivery and other trends in the food space. That's a fun thing for you. Like Domino's and, and McDonald's have been
4: competing more, more and more and more between those two. And, and it's, and it's part, partly because of Domino's focus on carryout, which is supposed to be competing for with the drive through You know, uh, yesterday they announced that they've got an Apple CarPlay app now. So you can order it on your your car. They're positioning that as an alternative to the drive-through. Whereas McDonald's now has gone pretty big into delivery. Actually, they were one of the. the I mean, they were very early, um, shockingly, because it's McDonald's. Usually, they're not early on anything, but they were early on delivery. And because it's so close, you can get food delivered very quickly. Because most of us live within a couple of miles of McDonald's. Mine is, I have a McDonald's. It's like a 15-minute walk. Easy. I don't get it delivered, though.
1: For an insightful discussion on India, we talked to Sharon Bomer, former U.S. Trade Representative for Ag Affairs and Commodity Policy.
0: As a former negotiator, you've sat across the table from officials from countries all over the world. What is it like negotiating with India compared to other markets that welcome U.S. dairy?
6: I would say there's probably uh, two main learnings that I have having negotiated with India. And the first is that within the Indian government, they have multiple agencies that care about dairy. So you have the trade ministry, which we would be negotiating with that are looking for opportunities to enhance economic relationships with the United States. But you also have the agriculture ministry, you have their food safety agency, and they have frequently a different perspective. And one of the challenges we always had is those agencies didn't necessarily agree with each other. And so in a negotiation, you didn't know whether you were getting a final answer or whether there would be more interagency discussions before they came back to you and changed their answer. So you had a bit of an unknown. But I think the second and, frankly, the more important issue is that India is extremely protectionist when it comes to agricultural products that they produce, such as dairy. They have an estimated 500 million livestock farmers, and they're mostly subsistence farmers. And they also have a lot of political power, which we saw... Exemplified two years ago when India tried to, tried to change its agriculture programs and you had massive protests in the capital.
0: Kathleen, one of the things I've noticed over the years is that ice cream people are happy people. And we had a full episode devoted to ice cream with three great guests. We heard from Ginny Lamb from Tillamook Ice Cream, as well as the dynamic duo of Rich and Heather Draper from the Ice Cream Club.
1: And what a delightful episode that was. Just so much energy, so much fun. Not that any of our other guests aren't fun. It was a highlight. It was a highlight. Definitely made me uh, want
0: some ice cream afterward. So clean label, but full flavor,
7: right? Full, full flavor. F- don't skimp on the fat.
0: How do you come up with new flavors? How do you develop? How do you develop them? It's, it's kind of funny
3: because I, I don't know if we should say this, but I think people think we spend a lot of time with flavor development. It's kind of joke where once one percent inspiration, ninety nine percent perspiration. It's kind of our one of our slogans, it's, we take new flavors, a lot of requests from our customers that they get them from their customers. So they come in, we see what's going on with the industry, but the, really the bulk of our activity, and I think for most ice cream, if not all ice cream producers that are that are making it themselves and delivering it, that's that's the big effort is just to get it done safely and, and consistently with quality. But the flavor development is the fun part. Uh, So we really rely a lot on our team. We've got a great team, our our three top people in our ice cream production room have a combined 100 years of making ice cream with us, and they love making new flavors and experimenting.
0: Next up, a really fascinating conversation with Dr. Mark Watkins, and he's a medical doctor that's been hired by Kroger, a really interesting journey that he's been on. and He tells us about what his mission is in that role.
8: You know, I, I think when we look at food as a medicine, and 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 where we are in that intersection, America is sick, right? If, if we begin to really think about it in terms of the dollars we spend uh, on healthcare and where we are um, in, in terms of uh, of even my training, right? For the last twenty five years and the twenty five years before that, heart disease was still the the leading cause of death in this country, and it's uh, still leading the Leading the race. Uh, and we know that, that, that a lot of that is uh, related to nutrition and then things that we eat. You, you talk to any healthcare provider, they always talk to you about things like you know, diet and exercise. But when we, when we think about how food plays such a critical aspect in our health, uh, how much of that is, is coordinated with the medical profession to the degree that we maybe coordinate other types of services? Um, And so we we have really leveraged the the longstanding philosophy from the Academy of Nutrition that really speaks to how food and medicine can help improve outcomes and and help improve uh, things that we've been talking about, like chronic disease.
1: In our next episode, we talk to two folks in the whipped topping industry talking about growth in that sector. So these big all family get togethers, barbecues um, and you know pumpkin pie are really the times that the majority of, of shoppers come. So the average trips is really only three times a year. But when you look at kind of the heaviest, most loyal, most interested customers, which are like less than 10 percent of the shoppers um, that are coming much more frequently, But the category has been growing double digits for well long before COVID. And that's really, again, because of those low sugar, high fat
9: trends. Really, when we think about aerosol whipped cream, you know, you don't associate that as just it is a staple product in every American household. But it's also a fun product. You know, people associate that with fun. Um, You know, um, the product has a lot of advantages, low calories, you know. Gets, gets gets you your sugar uh, rush uh, in, in the lowest calories possible. Um, but as a category, it's still something that we are, we are seeing a lot of flavors. You see that in the market. You see a lot of um, um, sizes coming out in the category. And we've been part of helping uh, our brands and and our partners uh, enter and, and grow that category. So I think... Consumer is is looking for some fun, health conscious treat. Um, you know, I think fat is back in fashion, uh, and that has also helped drive the growth in the category um, in the last couple of years.
0: For our veterans in dairy episode, Walter McClung talked about military skill sets and building managing teams in a dairy plant.
4: How you manage teams in a military environment? versus how you manage the same team in a civilian environment are totally different, right? So they don't issue you feelings in the military, and so there's no expectations there. Um, but when you get out into the civilian world, there's a whole different conversation. And so you have to f- had to figure out how I take that, maybe that level of uh, responsibility from a conversational standpoint and make sure it was applicable, which was my first challenge, and I wasn't stepping on toes and how do you be more personable? That took a little bit to get down. The responsibility in the military is, I, I won't say it's ingrained in everybody, but most people who go in the military have whether they wanted to admit it or not have some sense of responsibility, They, whether they're detail-oriented or they have that, that need to perform at some kind of level. A lot of people in the military have that. From a military standpoint, you don't really have to work on pushing those buttons too hard for people who have a service background. You just ask set definitions and they usually will go and try to accomplish that goal trying to create that conversation and create that vision for people who don't have that skill set or that background was a little bit challenging i find it's easier to start with a smaller group of people and you establish the boundaries of what that should look like and then you allow those individuals to drive that down or not necessarily down but maybe outwards to everybody else Um, the behavior can be contagious when people start seeing the result and the performance starts going up and everybody wants to be part of that.
6: With
1: the holiday season fast approaching, Don Burns from Organic Valley came to talk to us about
7: eggnog. According to Numerator, um, some of our consumers, we're seeing that they're planning to have more celebrations around Christmas um, and looking to have more consumption of consumer baking and cooking in their household, so 3% more lift than last year, which does open up an opportunity for Organic Valley or any really dairy company, food company, to capitalize on those high-quality ingredients that people are looking for entertaining.
1: And I guess from a trend perspective, what kind of trends do you see in the market for other dairy products during the holiday season
7: outside of eggnog? Yeah, there's lots of different trends we're seeing. First, I will start with eggnog. We are seeing just uh, a plethora of different types of eggnogs now, um, whether it be the reduced fat or low fat, but we're also seeing plant-based. We're seeing different flavors of eggnog. So peppermint, pumpkin spice. So they're really merging a bunch of things where it used to just be the tried and true traditional eggnog, and now it's many different types of flavors or um, fat levels. We also are seeing from a... uh, Uh, Dairy perspective, a lot of different types of cheeses coming out, Um, and again, these are just in time for the holidays. We're seeing them on shelf, but cranberry cheeses, pumpkin spice cheeses, collector set. We also are seeing trends around consumers looking for, again, around entertaining, but dipping. So wanting to use cheeses that are in a wheel or think of like brie or a cheese ball. So we're working to try to help consumers on how to make that cheese ball. What kind of cheese do you use? What do you, you know put with it? And so a lot of the entertaining uh, ideas are what we're focusing on
0: last but not least we had a bona fide undersecretary of agriculture with us alexis taylor joined us and talked about negotiations and other aspects of dairy trade but especially trusting in the process
1: what is your message to dairy producers and dairy processors about what you and your colleagues are doing to provide new and additional market opportunities?
7: Well, I think first I would just
1: say how much the dairy industry is a valuable partner to USDA, to our export development programs and export work that we do. And one of the things you know we're really focused on, as I mentioned, is rebuilding that confidence and trust in the global trading system. I actually think the dairy industry is a great example of how far are, an industry can come when they see the value of trade and when they have trust in the trading system. And really how the dairy industry has evolved over the past, you know, several decades is is pretty remarkable in your posture around international markets and how important trade is to your far, your dairy farmers and your, you know, food processors and exporters.
0: That's a wrap for today's show. As always, we want to thank our production team, Matt Herrick, Mariah McKenzie, Michael Gooden, and Andrew Jerome at IDFA, and Corey Romero over here at EverAg Insights. If you are interested in what Kathleen and I do for our day jobs, check us out at ever.ag. Remember, if you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform.
1: Thanks for listening to The Dairy Download. Until next time, stay sharp.